Good morning. Earlier this summer, my wife Catherine and I had the opportunity to go to Italy, our dream vacation. We ate lots of pizza and gelato. We were actually challenged by our tour directory to eat three or four a day. We tried to meet that need if possible. We went on a uh, gondola ride in Venice. It's a little hard to tell from this picture, but our, our gondola driver's in a white, t -sh a white shirt in the back. He's actually on his cell phone, which was just a little odd. Uh, we saw some amazing sights like uh, the Colosseum and Pantheon and Rome and went down to the ruins in Pompeii and, of course, the great Leaning Tower of Pisa. Look, I took an original picture. I'm, I'm the only one ever to do that. But there was one site we visited, one place we went that changed me. And that was the Sistine Chapel deep inside Vatican City. By a show of hands, how many have been there? Yeah, a lot of you, a lot of you. The, the chapel was built in 1470, and Pope Julius II commissioned a reluctant sculptor named uh, Michelangelo di Lodovico Bonarroti Simoni to paint the ceiling. And of course, he later painted the, uh, the walls as well. And it took him four years to complete that project. The chapel itself is uh, 134 feet long by a rather narrow 43 wide, but it's 67 feet high. And over 5 million people a year wander through the chapel. When I went in, my eyes went into visual overload as I tried to take it all in from the one scene on the wall that describes the final judgment to paintings all along the ceiling from the Genesis account of creation to apostles and prophets and other things scattered here and there. And I just tried to take it all in. It was an overwhelming experience. And I realized at that moment how big God was. His story came alive to me in the paintings of that room. His story woke me up to who he is from, from creation to the final judgment. And, and I tried to just soak it all in as I stood there in his bigness. And, and I could feel him close. I, I could feel his presence around me as I stood there in that chapel. Have you ever had those moments where God seemed so big to you, where you felt so close to him, like he was right there, you could feel his presence. I, I've had those moments. You have too. Perhaps for you, it is a great piece of artwork. Standing in front of Michelangelo's David, and you're just in awe. For some, maybe it is singing uh, a chorus or a favorite hymn, and you just get, you get lost in the words, and you, you feel God there. I've had those moments, and the Sistine Chapel was certainly one of them, but I don't need to be in Italy to have that feeling. I feel the bigness of God 
and I feel closest to him and most alive when I am simply outside in his creation. It's there on a regular basis that I feel this this overwhelming sense of God's presence in my life and how big he is. And our psalm today is going to confirm that feeling. So let's take a look today at Psalm 19. Let's take a look at Psalm 19. I'm going to start by reading verses 1 to 6. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak, and night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word, and their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth, and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. This section tells us, first of all, that God's creation is big. God's creation is big. And this is where we start on our message notes. If you like to do this sort of thing, grab these out. You can follow along. The verses are on there. And you can do some fill-in. And I'll give you some sub-points after this one. So fill-in creation. God's creation is big. And the first main point after that is this. God's big creation actually reveals God to us. It reveals God to us. This is really amazing to me. If we knew nothing else about God, nothing, if we had never heard a word about him, if no one had ever preached a sermon, we can still know who God is simply by being in his creation. I love that it says in verse 1 that God's creation proclaims. New International Version uses declares the glory of God. It doesn't whisper it. It shouts it out. And yet it does so, according to verse 3, without a sound or a word. A voice is never heard. And yet God shouts out his glory through his creation. I've asked for a little something special from the back today. I've asked them to open our curtains some more. If we're going to have this message about God's big creation shouting out to us, I wanted you to let it shout. Listen, you don't need to see anything up here. I know I picked out a nice outfit today. But this is not important. What is important is that you get to look out those windows and for the rest of this message, just allow God's creation to declare his glory and to shout to you who he is today. The Apostle Paul is actually talking about faith in Romans 10, but he ends up quoting Psalm 19.4. Here's what he's saying in Romans 10. So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. But I ask, had the people of Israel actually heard the message? He's being a little facetious here. He's saying this good news of Jesus is is, is coming around and there are people out and there are people speaking, there are people preaching, but has everybody heard the message? He says, yeah, they have. They've already heard the message. And then he quotes Psalm 19.4. The message has gone throughout the earth and the word to all the world. So without even hearing, you can see and feel and know God again through him shouting out in his creation. 
And then Psalm 19.4 is probably the, the idea also or a piece behind another part of Romans, which is Romans 1, 18 to 20. I'm going to read you 18 and 19, and then we'll put 20 again, which we've already heard once, up on the screen. But here's 18 and 19. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. There were people that were going around and they didn't want this gospel message out. They didn't want the good news of Jesus to spread any farther. Let's shut this thing down before it gets any momentum, before it gets rolling. Let's stop it. Let's suppress the truth from getting out there. Paul says, they, and that includes us as well, they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. And then here's this Romans 1.20. For ever since the world was created, People have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. They have no excuse for not knowing God. That, in part, is what is referred to by theologians as what's called general revelation. General revelation, which is described as this. God revealing himself to mankind, not by words, but by observing what God has created. General revelation is considered to be plainly available to all man by seeing what God has created. Just by being in creation, we can know who God is. The other thing I think is really important here is that God's creation is consistent. God's creation is consistent. Verse 2 says, day after day they continue to speak, and night after night they make him known. Day after day the heavens shout out about God. Another version uses pour forth speech. Day after day they continue to pour forth speech. God's revelation to us is like the the consistent bubbling up out of a stream. It's the overabundance of food at a buffet line. It's that obnoxious, irritating, uh, it's a small world song in Disneyland that just goes on and on and on and it never stops. And God's creation, God's shouting never ends. It never stops. When when my wife and I, we go to the Bay Area often and uh, we'll take off from here early in the morning. And we'll drive an hour in total silence. Like not a word. We don't say a word. We just drive. About an hour down the road, Pitt School, for those that travel that route. Pitt School Road, there's a Starbucks. So we pull in the Starbucks. I get a mocha if it's a cold day, frappuccino if it's a hot. And I start drinking that thing. And when that caffeine hits my system, I pour forth speech. I cannot stop talking until the caffeine just wears out. It just runs out eventually somewhere down the road. God's creation, God's caffeine through creation never wears out. It continues and continues to pour forth his speech. So God's creation is consistent. Think about this for a minute. The very same sun that stood still in the sky so that Joshua and his men could win a mighty battle is the very same sun that beat down and scorched us last week. When you go out at night and you look at the moon and you look at those stars, those are the very same 
stars that wise men followed to find baby Jesus laying in a manger in Bethlehem. Wow. God's creation is consistent. And it can't stop shouting out and revealing who God is. Creation should also bring us joy. God's creation should bring us joy. In here, David is talking about the sun, and he says God has a home in the heavens for the sun, but then every day the sun bursts out of the home when God allows it to, and and, and it arrives for us. But he, he describes it in a couple ways. The first one, he says the sun bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. How happy is a groom after his wedding? Need I say more? Very, very happy. So the sun burst forth in happiness, trying to bring that same piece of joy to us. He goes on to describe the sun like a great athlete eager to run the race. The great athlete is being held up by the starting pistol. The great athlete cannot wait to go, to be in that moment The sun also cannot wait to come into our lives. The sun cannot wait to arrive in the day to bring us heat and warmth and joy to our lives. God's creation, all of it, should bring us a great amount of joy. And finally, in this section, God's creation is for everyone. God's creation is for everyone. It says in verse 6, the sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. The sun goes across the universe and nothing can hide from its heat. I was on a camp out at Rollins Lake in early April, uh, late April. Yes, I was actually with, I teach a camping class at William Jessup University. It is my favorite class. And so the students have to build a camp out and they have to basically take me on it and I grade them all on all the good stuff they do. And so one of the uh, activities that the students planned was for us to get up before the sun came up and to meander our way down to the shores of Rollins Lake where we had a beautiful devotional by one of my students and then we waited for the sunrise. And I waited and I waited and I actually said in my head, come on God! Let's get this sunrise thing going. We've got things to do today on this camp out. And I realized how foolish I was. I do not get to tell God when the sun rises. The sun will rise and the sun will set and the moon will rise and the moon will set when God says it will. And when it did come up, when it peaked over the mountains, myself And all the others there in my class that were watching, every one of us saw it rise. And for those in their perspective time zones around the globe, when it rises, they see it as well. Sometimes I look at it like this. Whether I'm in my backyard doing yard work, or I'm working in the slums of Brazil, which I've shared in the past, is one of the things I've been able to do, or I'm taking a great tour through Italy. When I look at the sun and the moon and the stars, they're the same ones. We don't just get the sun in Auburn. Somebody else doesn't get the moon. They are all for everyone. And everywhere in the globe that you go, it is the same sun and moon and stars that God has provided 
for everyone. There's actually a new, uh, a new disease that's been diagnosed recently. This is a real deal. It's called this, Nature Deficit Disorder, NDD. Nature Deficit Disorder. It's defined as this, the disconnect we have with the natural world around us and the problems that arise from that condition. The disconnect we have from the natural world, from not going outside enough, and then these things that, that cause difficulties because we're not outside. They list some things like diminished use of the senses, attention difficulties, higher rates of physical and emotional illness. This disorder has been detected not just in individuals, but in family groups and entire communities are affected by this. It's caused by overworking. You know those days when you go to work and it's dark and you get out and you come home and it's dark? It's caused by our busyness. So even in those times we could go outside, there's, there's so many other things to do. And we find ourselves trapped indoors doing things. And it's caused by our, our obsession with our electronics. One little boy, a nine-year-old kid in San Diego, San Diego, of all places, was asked on a beautiful day, why aren't you playing outside today? And he said, I, I like to play indoors better. That's where all the electrical outlets are. <laughs> but you know, it's not just nine-year-olds, is it? We all have forgotten sometimes about being outside. The results of nature deficit disorder are unhealthy lifestyle choices leading to child and adult obesity, a doling of our senses to the world around us. And as a Christian, I've added to this list a diminished sense of the wonder of a God who created it all. We've lost our sense that there is a God who has created all this for us. I got to choose the psalms that I wanted to teach out of this summer. And, and I chose Psalm 19. And I chose it for everything I've just shared with you. And, and honestly, I thought when I chose it, this is where I get to end my message. There's so much more I could still talk about. How, how God's creative uh, craftsmanship displays his glory. But then I, I read the whole psalm. And, and, and I realized I couldn't stop. Because there's another way that God shouts out and reveals himself to us. And that is through his big word. So let me read Psalm 19, 7 to 11. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. Here we see that not only is God's creation big, but God's word is big. God's word is big. Now, most versions start with either the word instructions or the word law. 
And when the, this was written, the readers would understand that law meant uh, the Ten Commandments, the first five books of the Old Testament, which were written by Moses, called the Pentateuch. And they would understand that, and they would know that that was, their, that was what they were to live by. But we have had some more time pass. We have some more stuff here. And so we know from 2 Timothy 3.16 this, that all Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God, And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. So for us, when we read this next section that talks about this meaning of the law or instruction, it's everything. It's this, but it's everything we have that makes God's big word come alive to us and reveal himself for us. I mentioned earlier this concept of general revelation, God revealing himself through nature, through creation. Here is what is known as special revelation. Revelation, God's special revelation. And it is how God has chosen to reveal himself through miraculous means. Special revelation includes physical appearances of God, dreams and visions. Special revelation includes God's scripture or written word, which is what we're talking about here. And most importantly of all of God's special revelation is his son Jesus that he brought to earth to live and to die for us. I, I love studying uh, Scripture and finding things out about it. This is poetry, right? Psalms is, is very poetic at times, and the writers do different things to make it come alive. This section, 7 to 11, is written in what's called parallelism. Parallelism. And what that means is that the second line of each verse Uh, reinforces or even builds upon the line before. It it enriches and it enlarges the content of what the speaker or the writer is writing about. Uh, It uses synonyms and descriptive words to describe the same concept over and over and over again. And here we find that each of these verses uh, not only tell us how God's word is big, but they continue, like creation, to shout out who God is and declare himself to us. Look at those words again, those phrases they use to describe God's big word. Perfect, trustworthy, right, clear, pure, true, desirable, sweet. And if you believe in God's word, if you desire to follow it, then the results, reviving the soul, making wise the simple, bringing joy to the heart, giving insight for living and lasting forever. And I read that and and I looked at that and then I I started studying. I, I discovered there are volumes of books written just about these words. Volumes just about these words. What it meant in the original Hebrew language and what the cultural nuances were so that the people then, how would they understand each of these words? And then how does that transfer today? And how are we supposed to understand these words? And I went, whoa, 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 wait, really? Really? Do I need that on this list? Do I need volumes of words to let God's words speak to me? Do me a favor, close your eyes for a minute. Close your eyes. I want to read these words again. I want you to relax. Just open yourself to God and let him, in just these next couple minutes, reveal himself to you through his word. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, trustworthy, right, clear, pure, True, desirable, and sweet.
Now keep your eyes closed for a minute. If you choose to follow God, if you desire to live according to his word, let me give you some of the results from here. God's instructions will revive your soul. They will make you wise. They will bring joy to your heart. It will give you insight for living. And it will last forever. You can open your eyes. What a beautiful list. What a beautiful list of God's word coming alive to us. There's a story of an old Irish priest. No, this is not a joke, and no one walks into a bar. (laughs) And he has a young man come to him to learn about the scriptures. And after hours of talking, the old priest says, Now take these things and pass them on to others. The young man replies, But how can I learn these things for myself? Can you tell me some books I can read that will explain all these things? After a long moment of silence, the wise old man responded with this, My dear young man, I learn these things on my knees on the mud floor of a little thatched cottage in the north of Ireland with my open Bible on the chair before me. The one who wrote the Bible came day by day and explained them to me. You can learn more in a few weeks on your knees with God over his word than you can in all the schools in a lifetime. Wow. A challenge for us from this section is to to desire to be a student of the Bible. So much more that we see God's word as more desirable than gold and it would taste as sweet as honey that is just dripping from the cone. I want to finish this section by, by sharing something that we actually got during our 40 days in the Word that a lot of us in the church did last year. Some of you will recognize this. It's called the Bible versus the cell phone. The Bible versus the cell phone. What would happen if we treated our Bible like we treat our cell phones? What if we carried it around in our purses or pockets? What if we flipped through it several times a day? Hey, listen, I work with college students several times a day on their phone. <laughs> Hundreds. What if we flip through our Bible hundreds of times a day? What if we treated it like we couldn't live without it? What if we gave it to our kids as a gift? And I know many of us have done that. What if we used it when we traveled? What if we used it in case of emergency? Now, I have a dumb phone. I do not have a smartphone. But I travel with a lot of people that do. And I'll tell you, it is so handy on the road. And so I added this one. What if we used our Bible first when we were lost and needed direction? And then my favorite on here actually was, what if we turned back to get it if we forgot it? Have you done that? Have you done that? How is it for decades, literally decades and decades, I had no phone. I did not carry a phone with me and life went on. And yet now, I'm driving down to Rockland to William Jessup University. I'm somewhere along Highway 49 and I freak out and I start, I check my pockets. I'm like, no, I've forgotten my phone. How am I going to live without it today? You know what the reality is? No one even calls me. (laughs) Like I'll go three days and I have not even a text. But have you ever had phantom pains, phantom phone rings? 
right? Everyone's probably like, oh, yeah. Yeah, no. You know? <laughs> but man, I drive away and I'm like, I don't know if I can survive today without a phone. Crazy. What if we felt that way? You drive off without your Bible. Oh, no. I'd better consider going back for that. Of course, if you have a smartphone, you won't have to because it's all on there anyway. But. And then they finish up by saying, uh, this is something to think about. Where's my Bible? Unlike our cell phone, we don't have to worry about our Bible being disconnected because Jesus already paid the bill and there's no dropped calls. There's no dropped calls. Verse 11 uh, is a transition into the last part, and it says that they, the, the instructions, the law of the Lord, they are a warning to our servant and a great reward for those who obey him. You know, when we see God through creation and we desire to follow his commands, we have no option but to respond in a big way to what we have seen and what we've heard and what we've read. So let me read this last section to you, 12 to 14. David continues, How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. (laughs) David realizes how big God is. And all he can do is drop to his knees and begin to confess his sin. I, I love this part where he says this. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? He's like, I sin a lot, God. Like it happens all the time. Can I really keep a whole list of those? He realizes that you can't. And as we go through our day, things happen. One writer actually said it this way. Humans can no more achieve sinlessness and they can avoid breathing. And it's true. But David appears to be referring to two kinds of sins here. The first one he calls hidden faults, his hidden faults. These are probably sins that are kind of committed inadvertently. You're mean to someone, but you don't even really recognize it at that moment. You're busy, you're going about your day, but maybe you've walked by people who are in great need, and you didn't even pick up on it. This happens often. Uh, They may be inadvertent, and and we most times might not even be aware of them. And what David says there, he says, in these situations, he says, nothing we can do but trust in God's mercy that he would cover us when we need it for those times, for those many sins that we can't keep track of. But he gives a second kind of sin here. It's called deliberate sin. And this is a different story. A deliberate sin is a willful sin, a direct violation of God's law. Those times when when you see the sin before you and, and you choose to go after it, you choose to take it, use it, do it, whatever it might be for you. And so David, out of this recognition of these deliberate sins, he starts a prayer. And he asks God to help him from committing those sins. His response has to be big. His response is big. Lord, help me to understand that I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to commit those sins. I don't want to be controlled by them. And then he concludes this wonderfully written psalm by continuing on in a prayer. 
He now has a request from God. He says, asking that both his outward life, he says, the words of my mouth and his inward life, the meditations of my heart, that all those would please you, God. David realizes that God is his rock. I love this personally. It seems like an obvious reference back to creation, back to the created piece, back to God's general revelation of his creation. And God is our rock, our strength that way. But he's also, David says, his redeemer, the one who can forgive us and save us. How do we know God forgives us? How do we know God saves us? That's through his specific revelation of our word, the written word that we have. And so David takes both these ideas and tumbles them back together. Says, God, you are my rock and you are my redeemer. And his response is big to the bigness of God is that he humbles himself. Says, God... Take my life and use me. Let, me. let me take you back to the Sistine Chapel for a minute. When I first went in, I didn't know anything of the facts and figures, all those things I gave to you earlier. I didn't know anything about the frescoes. Heck, I didn't even know what a fresco was. Uh, but I knew about one piece. I knew about one, one specific piece of the chapel ceiling Again, created by Michelangelo. And, and it's called, and, and many of you know this, right? The creation of Adam. The creation of Adam. And in the bigger picture, you've got God and some beings, and, and they are creating man. They're creating Adam. But I was able to, to, to go back right into the center of the chapel. And, and I looked up. And I tried to eliminate everything else around me, all the distractions. And I focused in on one little part of that painting. And you know what it is? It's that piece where where the hand of God reaches out and it's almost touching the hand of man. And I realized at that moment that our great big God who created everything to to show his glory from the creation scenes to that final judgment all created is the very same God who's reaching out to touch me it's the same for you our big God our big creator has reached out he wants to know you to love you to touch your life as well. So here I was, overwhelmed by the bigness of God in this chapel. I I just, it was so much. And then at the same time, while I was overwhelmed with the bigness, I looked up, I focused in, and I I became completely, completely wrapped up in the compassion of a God who loves me. And that's what changed me about that chapel. Let me finish with a a quick challenge for you. Number one, get outside. Get outside. No more nature deficit disorder for you. Go for a walk. Sit under a tree. Go to one of our amazing rivers around here. Jump in and let God's creation wash right over you. Number two, get into God's word. Get into God's Word. 
allow the author of our Bible, the author of the book, to come to you each day to reveal himself to you as you open his word, as you study, and let him jump into you. And the third thing is get right with God. Get right with God. Like David, perhaps you need that same prayer. God, I understand how big you are. I am overwhelmed by you, and yet I understand that you are the close God that wants to love me, wants to touch my life. Pray that prayer that David prayed, that everything that was, is within you and those things that spew out of you will bring him glory and honor. Let our big God be your rock and your redeemer. Let me pray. God, thank you, first of all, for your creation, that we can look out windows and see you. We can walk down paths and splash in lakes and know you exist. Help us to get out in your creation. God, thank you for your word that shows your story to us and shares how you came and lived and died and have taken away our sins. May we spend time absorbing that. God, help us just to continue to pray to you in every way and in every situation. Help us to remember that you are a big God and yet you've created and loved each one of us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.